So thanks for sticking around. This is going to be part two of our conversation on Ford versus Ferrari. I'm here with production sound mixer Steve Morrow, who thanks is for nominated me. for an Academy Award in the best sound mixing category. And you, uh, this, is the, this is the fifth season that we've done on this special Dolby Institute Soundworks Collection Oscar podcast. And this is your third appearance. Third, yeah. After getting nominated for uh, La La Land uh, and then again for A Star is Born. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. <laughs> nice to have you back. Good to be back. So how did you get involved with uh, Ford versus Ferrari? How did you get on this movie? Uh, Ford versus Ferrari was a movie that came along. Uh, the the James Mangold's post-production supervisor, Aaron Downing, uh, who I think it heads post-production at 20th Fox, uh, him and I have been friends for 20 years. And, um, and we've always tried to hook up together on a movie together. Yeah. And uh, this one was finally the one that worked out. We had... James and I were gonna do a movie, The Deep Blue Goodbye, maybe three or four years ago, and it, it got canceled last minute due mm -hmm. to an actor being injured. And right. so it was just five days before we were gonna start shooting, it just got canned. So Ford versus Ford, I mean, obviously this movie, the, the, the signature set piece is about the race car, yeah. you know, the, the, the big Le Mans race and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So you know that this is coming, you get the script. Like, what's your process for kind of getting ready and prepping to, to to do production sound mixing on a on a movie yeah, like this, I think I think the biggest prep is just realizing the circumstances you're going to be in. I think realizing that this is a, a race car movie, and that the cars are going to be loud, and there's dialogue in the race cars uh, while it's driving in. And even though, you know, there's some trickery in movie making where it might not be the actual GT40 that you're filming right. in, it's still going to be a pod car. It's still going to be powered by a, a loud, you know, fast engine. And you're going to have to be mobile, and you're going to have to to be able to record the, the the high decibel range that those cars have. And I, so reading that, I you know immediately started researching. Okay, well, what's the loudest that, you know, how loud could they possibly? Yeah, how be? loud could it be? And it, it's kind of like 140 decibels. And it's like okay, you know, you start looking at your microphones, and you realize none of them go up that loud. And so right. you start researching, and you start looking into what mic is going to hold up in that in that range. And I and I landed on a DPA. I want to say it's a 4066, but it's basically it'll go up to 156 decibels. Um, Are you serious? Yeah, but it's it, which is amazing for loud sounds, but it's terrible for dialogue, uh -huh. right? So it's not good. Like I wouldn't say terrible, but it's not the greatest. It's not what it's designed. It's to not ideal. Yeah. yeah, it's designed yeah. for super loud. So in those moments in the cars, we we switch mics, uh, you know, on Christian and and go with that. We actually used it on um, Henry Ford when he's given the big speech to the Ford factory. We use it because we knew he was going to be projecting, it was going to be loud, it was going to be... Tracy Letts is a very Tracy theatrical Letts. actor. And yeah. he, can, he can fill a room with that voice. and so Oh, right. and he filled that entire factory with that voice, and it was great, and it sounded amazing. And so that mic is made for that loud, high volume. And that's kind of where we started. That was the jumping off point. And, okay, how do we how to record the voices? And then, hey, you know, we can actually use these in the engines as well uh -huh. to just kind of do bonus stuff, you know, just for editorial sake, for, for you know, easy Because that, that came up in our conversation with Don yeah. uh, when, when we had that, that conversation a few weeks ago, which was, and I had never thought about this, with, mm -hmm. you know, the cars looked accurate, but the engines were the wrong engines. Right, totally car, wrong. Right, right. So they all had to be replaced later on. Yeah, yeah. yeah and we knew it. Uh, you know, to be honest, on day one, Jim, you know, like, you know, hey, good to see you. Okay, here's the deal, Steve. This is a race car movie. We're going to have old cars. They're going to be loud. Do the best you can. Don't worry about it. I understand. You know, you don't have to tell me every time there's a loud car. I get it. Okay, great. We'll get the best dialogue we can for you. Yeah. And beyond that, 
you know, we won't bother you unless it's something critical. Right. And that's kind of how we, you know, we went forward to it. So, you know, like in the, the Ferraris in the, in the movie, I think were Volkswagen engines. And, sure. You know, the, these aren't the cars that you need to focus all your energy on recording on set because we're not going to use them. Yeah. Right. In terms of like your mandate was not give me lots of great recordings of these cars because right. we know you know you're not. Right. Right. Yeah. The mandate was <clears throat> get the performance, get the dialogue. Don't worry if there's a loud noise over it. We get it. You know, it's like it's a period film with lots of cameras and lots of, of loud cars. But if, um, but were they able, were they able to actually retain some of your production dialogue tracks and the cars if they were replacing all that? Uh, yeah, I think the, the ma- stuff? I think the majority of the the tracks were retained. I I do think though that once you have an engine that is, you know, say the the I'm trying to think of a good example of of when they would replace it. I mean, it's basically anytime there's a somebody pulls into the pits. Right. If it's if it's a really obnoxiously loud engine. You know they're going to replace the the dialogue in that moment sure. because they want the engine and the car to sound right. Because there's going to be a ton of yeah. you know of car guys who are like who will know What's immediately. That? Right, you know, yeah. but there's there's tricks that the guys can do in post to clean up a little bit and then put the engine on top of it. So not everything is replaced. But yeah, there's yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. A, a majority, not I mean, a minority of of dialogue that's not going to survive, and we all know it. Yeah, you know, so it's not it's not a you know a, a process that you. Are precious with you just go okay this is going to be what it is i feel like you've carved out some territory as being the the go-to guy for like very difficult almost impossible <laughs> kind of situations like i remember stories that you were telling with like la la land the opening yeah. sequence on the freeway and yeah. you were and you you hid all of the playback speakers and at the same time you're recording performance yeah this it was just amazing and then the stories that you were telling from Star is Born about you know Bradley Cooper and and and, and just having having a like 90 seconds to capture some performance yeah. at Glastonbury or, or yeah. you know Coachella or Stagecoach or whatever whatever it was so you you really like I, I attract a technical <laughs> I think I attract you know I I try not to over overthink it so I'm not overthinking these these jobs but I'm trying to make it yeah as usable as possible, and somehow I attract just more of a technical, challenging movie. So, what was it? What was the big, the big challenge for you? I mean, obviously, there's the race car stuff, but was that? Was right. that well, the, the race car stuff, you know, is more of a something to get over. Like it, it's going to be noisy. Yeah. How do we get around that? I think the technical side of this was always being ready. You know, there, there'll be scenes where there's two actors listed as talking. You know, uh, Matt Damon and Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a conversation. Well, there's nine other actors surrounding them, they're stunt guys, but they're all, you know, they can all talk. They all have their, their sag. Right. So what we would do is we made sure that, okay, well, Christian and Matt get mic'd, everybody gets mic'd. If mm-hmm. they're, if they're, you know, if they're allowed to talk. You want to capture it. We're going to capture it, and they're probably going to say something. Right. Because the way Jim works is is he'll see the first take, and then he'll, he'll love what he sees, and then he'll add a little bit. He'll tweak a little bit. He'll mm-hmm. change it. And you never want to be the department goes. Oh wait, you're, he's going to talk now. Okay, let me let me. Oh fix yeah, that. give it me was, ten minutes while I go. Yeah, it's me, like uh, even right. if you're fast at thirty seconds, you're wasting a lot of time every day if you're doing that every day. So we kind of jumped in, knowing that that was a potential. And and from day one, we're like, okay, anybody that can talk is going to talk. Let's mic them all. Let's yeah. track them all. And that was kind of something we went towards on um, the front runner with Jason Reitman. It was. Right. 21 people in every scene, all talking, all ad-libbing. And you just have to be prepared for it. And as long as everybody's mic That sounds like a Robert Altman kind of nightmare. It was. It was yeah. Robert Altman on crack. <laughs> if you see the movie, it's like, yeah. it's, you know, all that sound was just there on set. And they didn't re-record anything in the movie. Yeah. And they used most of it as backgrounds. 
Interesting. You know, which is, is kind of wild that, to record that. But so we kind of treated that the same way in this film. It was, you know, 10, 12, 14 tracks of just everybody, anybody that can, that can do it. Yeah. You said we. Who's on your team? Uh, it's Craig Dollinger and Brian Mendoza on this one. Uh, Craig and I have gone back for 20 years now. Uh, Brian comes and goes, depending on, he, right now he's on the Orville. Right. So, you know, he's, you know, because we go out of town, he doesn't come out of town with us because productions don't light it. So, yeah. So, you know, as a utility guy, you have to find that. Yeah. Find that path in town. So, what's your, so are, are these guys are all on radio mics or, and, and you're combining that with booms or kind of how do you approach this stuff? Um, this movie was, it was probably 90% radio mics. Um, the way Faden, uh, Papa Michael, you know, with the way his cinematography was, multiple cameras, wides, tights, everything just to capture that moment because sometimes the light is perfect for 10, for 10 minutes. You know, as you see mm -hmm. the movie, there's a ton of sunset shots. Sure, there's a lot of golden hours. There's a lot moment. of golden yeah. hour and it's beautiful <laughs> and you're also, it's one of those things you don't want to get in the way and so everybody's always mic'd and then you boom what you can if you need to. But there's a lot of noise, a lot of wind, a lot of race cars. Well, and of, you, you had know. really noisy locations, like the yeah. interior that the interior of that hangar where they were building the cars yeah. must have been it's Ontario Airport. Must have I been mean, acoustically very challenging for you. Yeah, well, that's so, a, that's so it's a, a hangar at the airport, yeah. at a live airport. Yeah, so there's a, planes going over constantly. Yeah, it's, Amazon's taking off every every five minutes wow. with an airplane, and yeah, no, that's a, that's a real airport, um, Ontario. The the Le Mans pits was uh, Aqua Dulce Airport. Um, they built the Le Mans pits at an airport. Yeah, just, well, they needed the just, runway just to, for the speed. Just to, just to make it difficult for you. <laughs> yeah, luckily they, there was no planes landing. They oh, would have okay. hit, hit us, but <laughs> but uh, no, they needed it for the speed. Ah, You know, because okay. you need to be able to get up to 100 plus miles an hour. So you need and a good long straightaway. Yes, yeah, yeah. so you need a long straightaway. That's amazing. But yeah, all those locations, what they had in common was wind. It was right. it was a windy, windy movie. Oh, you sure. Know, and then we shot middle of summer, and so it was 110 degrees with 30, 40 mile an hour winds. I mean, the the opening race, you know, where he bashes his his Which trunk. Is where, where Christian Bale's character is kind of proving himself, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Then, yeah. And that was. It's hard to see, but every once in a while you can see a flag, you know, like an American flag on a rooftop, and it's just straight. You know, and it's like. So what do you do in that circumstance? You. Uh, you do the best you can. I mean, we, we, Christian was great. We could mess with him almost every other take to try to move his mic, to try to adjust it. You know, you don't want to put so much, uh, you know, wind and, and wind protection on it that you're just muffling the sound. Right. So there's a, there's a, a, a balance, but there, there are takes where you just go, okay, come on, no wind, no wind. Okay, perfect. You know, that was great. And, and um, there are takes where you get hit with the wind. It, it happens, but you, you do the best in, in protecting the mic and, and burying it as deep as you can without it just destroying their voice. Yeah. Um, and we were successful at that throughout that movie, you know, and, and, the, and then the, the guys in post were able to really, you know, the dialogue editor is magic. Right? Sure. I mean, they're able to really clean it up and, and, and fix a lot of the, the, the issues that you have that you, can't, you have no control over on set. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that movie was just, uh, uh, it was really a, a practice in wind protection, you know, because we were outdoors and it was windy the entire time. And if it's not windy, you're in a car that's moving fast and there's going to be a lot of air moving around. Yeah, yeah. Doing that. yeah. yeah. And that wasn't too bad, actually, because it has windshields and, you know, there, there's only so much wind that you can have in a car. But yeah, it was going to be loud. Did you hide in the car with your uh, with your with your mixer? Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no. Actually, they had a pod car, and so there's a stunt driver in a little pod on top of the roof, essentially, and uh, it's just the inside of the the GT40 and Christian and a couple remote head cameras. And I put a bag rig and strapped it down with a bunch of ratchet straps, 
And we would broadcast the audio, we would embed the audio into one of the cameras and the camera would feed it to a microwave system and the microwave would send it a half mile or a mile away to Video Village where we all were. Wow. Because once the car goes and it's going 100 miles sure, an hour, it's, it's pretty much gone within <laughs> 10 seconds, you know, and range-wise of context, it's, it's going to be gone. So we embedded into that and then everybody had, you know, we'd open up a speaker at the village and you could watch the scene. Unfold. That's amazing. And as long as they had an image, which they did, yeah. you know, because it was a microwave system that they had the, the specialty guys in there. So you were microwaving back, but were you recording at the video village, or was that that was a little recorder that was in the car with the a recorder in the car okay. that we had outputs <laughs> to the camera and embedded? But we would bring it back. We wouldn't record it back because as soon as the if the video glitched out, so would the audio. So, mm. but it was which was okay, you know. But but you couldn't have that on the recording, so the recording went with the car. That's amazing. Yeah. Did you dream of being a production sound mixer when you were a little kid growing up? I don't think so. No? I don't, I don't know if anybody dreams of being a production sound <laughs> mixer when, they, when they're... I think I was probably in love with movies since before I can remember being in love with movies, but from the age of eight, I was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm making movies. Yeah. So I think, I think you know, when you're eight years old, and this was, you know, 36 years ago or so, I think it's like a Spielberg movie, right. you know, E.T., all those movies where you're just like, it, you know, the, the world is open in this cinematic universe. It's just, you know, it kind of just attracts that, that creative part of you. So that's kind of what I wanted to do, just get into film any way I could. Right. And then getting into sound for me was really fun because you get to be on set. Right. You get to watch the movie being made. You get to hear it better than anybody. And you get to participate in a way that, you know, other departments don't. That's right. In the final product. Yeah. So, to me, it's just like kind of a golden spot. And you spot. get to, you know, you get to hang out with Christian Bale and Matt Damon yeah. and all the actors, right? So, I have a funny story about Christian Bale. This is a good story. It happened two days ago. So, we got nominated on on Monday morning. Right. And I get a, I get a text out of the blue saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, congratulations on your nomination. You know, well-deserved. Congratulations, mate. This is Christian. And I'm looking at my phone going, thank you, Christian who? Did you really? Because <laughs> like, I don't know. Christian Bale's not texting me on a daily you guys basis. Are, you and Christian Bale aren't really texting me. No, text I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't have his number saved in my phone. Yeah. I, Christian, yeah. And, and it took about a minute, and he responded, Ken Miles, mate. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, thanks. <laughs> you know, That's said a nice awesome. thank you back. But it was like, Christian, you know, like nobody texts, you know, Christian doesn't text me. But he was, uh, <laughs> it was really sweet, really nice of him to do. So you do have Christian's number now. Uh, I have somebody's number. <laughs> but, <laughs> Maybe yeah. his texting assistant. Yeah, his texting, his texting number. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what was your path? How did you how did you get into production uh, sound? Well, so for me, my path was okay. I was in Seattle. That's mm -hmm. where I grew up. You know, like the high school years. And out of high school, I went to a community college there to take some film classes. I just wanted to figure out how to make movies and how to make short films and. All the the sound on all my shorts were terrible. Of course. I mean, it was just like, well, this is terrible. Sound, How do I make this better? Sound on student short films is always terrible. Right, it's terrible. So I, I took a sound class and I learned, okay, you hold the boom, you plug it in, here's how here's how it all works. And I started doing that for my projects, for other people's projects, and the professor... Right, that's how you get to be the sound guy. Exactly, that's how you become the sound guy. And so the, the professor said, hey, try to get a job on a local movie, and here's a film hotline for the Washington State Film Hotline. And back then they were making movies in, up in the Northwest before they realized they'd just go a few more miles to Canada. It was cheaper. But so they would make movies there, and, and, and it was script supervisor, craft service, or boom operator uh -huh. for the three positions. And I went, well, I, don't, I know what craft service does. I don't know what a script supervisor does, but I can boom. Yeah. And I bugged them and I harassed them for, for weeks. And I said, I'll work for free. Just 
just get me on set. I'll work for free. I'll work for free. And uh, sure enough, they hire me. And what was the, the movie? Uh, where the air is cool and dark. Huh. It was about a, uh, a logger who moved to New York and moved back addicted to heroin. So we were in the logging, like, you know, he goes back to the hometown. It's a logging town. And uh, it was interesting. It was just rained on us the entire time. And we were outside. And it was miserable. What, but, makes, what makes a good boom operator besides staying out of the shot? Well, I think, I think a good personality on set. I mean, he's really the one who's interacting with the, the camera operators and the actors and the cinematographers. They have to know how to, to radio mic somebody quick, but also effectively. I mean, they're just, they need to be a good communicator and, and just a nice person because they are your ambassador. Right. You know, on, on set. You know, and they, they, if they don't have a good attitude or if they're not good people, you, you don't get much love from the rest of the crew. You know, because there's, there's going to be 100 people on set yeah. that are there for the image. That's right. Make a person wardrobe set deck, lighting, everybody's there for the image, which is great, but there's only three of us for sound, and if you can't make friends, then nobody's going to help you, <laughs> you know? And you need help. And you need help. I mean, <clears throat> everything can mess you up. A bag of chips that an actor's given versus, you know, some other item that they could have instead, you know, right. you need, like, people who are, you know, aware of it, but, it, you know, it's easy not to, it's easy just to get tunnel vision in your own department. You know, sure. We all do it. So yeah. having a good boom operator that can really communicate with everybody is is key. So tell me a little bit about your process. So you, we were talking about prep earlier. When yep. you get a script and you start to break down, what are you looking for? What do you? What kind of notes are you making to yourself? What? How, how are you thinking ahead? Uh, it depends on the film. If it's a musical, I, I think, okay, from scene to scene, I think, okay, well, what equipment do I think I need? Do I have everything that I need? Did, at this point in my career, I have everything You've for a, a musical. And, right, I have everything. So it's like, you know, okay, what do I make sure, you know, so I'm, I'm going through a script to see what new toys, what new equipment do you need for this movie to make it, to make it work. Some movies, like uh, Front Runner, where it was all just dialogue based, I started counting, I'm like, oh, there's 22 actors here right. listed, you know, and then call the director and say, hey, when these actors are listed, you're going to have them talk, because they're not scripted, there's only two people scripted, but there's 22 people in this scene. Interesting. No, anytime there's somebody in the scene, I want them all to talk. I'm going to give them a little booklet, they're going to really? They're gonna know so what's happening. So yeah. I knew that was coming. So I, you start counting your radio mics and go, oh, I need seven more. You know, right. I need to have 22 on that day. So that's kind of what you, that's what my process is, is just breaking it down and going, okay, what do I need to accomplish the movie in the right way? I think A Star is Born... I probably didn't make any money on the movie because I spent it all on equipment up front, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, here's your, here's how much money we have for your rental. And I went, I, went, oh, I think I need 60 grand worth of gear just to make this work. Yeah. But it's not a matter of, you know, do I need to make money on every single movie? It's how do I do the best job possible right. for that story? Right. And I think, you know, because the money comes and goes and, it, you know, projects come and go, but your the quality of work will stay or it won't. Yeah. You know, and so the, the goal is never to... It, for me, it's never to just do the bare minimum. I want to do as much as possible. Yeah, you know, to make the movie better. Tell me about the like the tech scouting process when you, are, you know, when you go on those with the director. Usually, the DP is there, and mm -hmm. you know, various department heads. What do you, what do you? I mean, obviously, you're listing for. Is this a terrible location for sound? But yeah. what, 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 what? Tell me about that process. Yeah, I think the by the time the sound mixers on the tech scout, location is picked, everything is set. So the only thing you really have control over is. You know, you, you, your best friend is the location manager at that point. Because mm -hmm. you're not going to go to the director and say, this is terrible, we can't shoot here. I mean, that's never going to happen. Right. So your your best scenario is to go to the location manager and say, hey, you know, there's this air conditioning unit just above the set. Can that be turned off? Well, it kind of <coughs> runs the whole building. Okay, is there 
Is there a way that we can turn that off and give air to the rest of the building? You know, there's certain things that you can do that that make your life easier on the day of shooting uh, just by asking in the tech scout way in advance. Right. Um, a lot of it's air conditioning, a lot of it's like, hey, that vending machine doesn't need to be on, and, and you know, refrigerating the Cokes that we're never gonna see on camera. Right. Can we turn that off when we're shooting? And 90% of the time it's yes, no problem. Sure. Because that's what locations does, right? Um, and every once in a while you're at a, you know, you'll be at a hospital and like, hey, can we turn that air conditioning? Well, it turns off the whole wing and we can't do that because there's <laughs> the pediatric wing or whatever. And you go, okay, totally understand. So when you show up on the day and there's the rumbling, yeah, it's not something you have to address again because you already know the answer. Right. So those are the positive things where you can just kind of move on and, and work your way around it. Uh, so that's kind of what you look for, you know, when you're locationing, when location scouting or, or tech sure. scouting, you know, you kind of look and see what it is or, you know, does it. The AD department need, you know, speakers everywhere so they can cue people through, you know, a voice of God system, right. anything. Right. So you're looking at just what do you need to accomplish it? Because once you're there, it, the location is locked in. There's nothing, you know. Yeah. I've had Jason Reitman ask me, you know, what do you think about this? Is this going to mess us up? Huh. Um, you know, because he's he's, he's a very, tuned in for sound. He's very tuned in to sound, and and I don't think there's been a time where they've picked a location where it was gonna be bad for sound. It was just, there was adjustments you had to make. Sure. But, you know, for the most part, you know, you tend not to pick, lower budget movies pick worse locations, because it's cheaper, right? Closer to the airports, <laughs> louder locations, it's just cheaper to film there. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, and that's probably when you need the most help. Right. But, uh, but yeah, once it's that point, you just figure out what you can do to make it the best scenario. So I remember when we talked about A Star Is Born, you were you were you were I think you were talking about one of your favorite days was uh, the 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 day that you guys shot the scene with Lady Gaga singing a cappella in the uh, in the the parking lot at the supermarket. Yeah, it was, tell me what, what what was your favorite day on uh, on Ford versus Ferrari? Hmm. Even though Lady Gaga's not in the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When she came out in the field, <laughs> um, I think that it's two different it's two different movies. I think. Ford versus Ferrari was kind of an exciting movie because uh, certainly the cinematography looked incredible, even on a monitor. Mm. I mean, it was just one of these movies that just looked you like a movie from, from day one. I mean, there was no question whether this was gonna be um, an amazing movie. I think there, there are fun days when Matt Damon is flying the plane, right. you know, where you're just, it's hysterical, you know, because, you know, the plane's on the ground and they're, they're playing along, but you just know that's gonna be a funny scene, you yeah. know. Um, I'm thinking about the uh, the scene with Tracy Letts and Matt Damon in the car when he's giving him oh, a ride yeah. around. You know that's going to be just oh, you're, you're dying because yeah. you're like this is incredible. You know, sure. for one, he's having a hard time getting in the car. Yeah. You know, then he gets in the car and then they're like, let's hit it. You know, and it's just uh, I mean, it's a classic thing when they're fighting Christian Bale and Matt Damon fighting on the on the on the in the park. Right. You know, in the park that little um, curb was rubber. So in case they hit the curb, you know, it's not a piece of concrete. Yeah, they, they built replaced it. the curb with they rubber. replaced the curb with a rubber curb <laughs> so that you know if they really got into it and they weren't really going to kill fun, one of their movie stars. Kill yeah, <laughs> kill each other. But it was an incredible scene. I mean, these guys were really going for it. There's a really funny moment in that scene mm -hmm. where I think it's Matt Damon. He yeah. picks up. He picks up a like like a, a can, can of good, uh -huh. and he's like, and he's like, yeah, I'm not gonna do it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna do some bread instead, <laughs> you know, because it's that moment where it's like, I wanna kill him, but I don't really wanna kill him, you yeah. know, but these are things where it's never scripted. You right. just, they're doing it, and they're just, it's just that a- That was a, an ad-libbed moment? He just yeah, picked those up are the can? I mean, look, it could have been one of those moments where Jim right. said, here, here's what you do, but it's not scripted, like he sure, picks sure, up a sure. can and decides bread is better. It's, yeah. it's never scripted <laughs> like that, so it's probably this moment where Jim and him and you they know, Christian, they all, they work it out, but it's just like, 
you know, those are golden moments where you just get to watch this performance. And it's, it's kind of a fun, those are those fun days where it's just like, you know, you just get to be a kid and watch these great, you know, these great actors doing their, doing what they do best. For an audience member, I think one of the great pleasures of that movie is watching those two movie stars. Like, they're at the top of their game and they're yeah. just, you can, t they're just doing great work and they, it's, it seems effortless in a way. Yeah, I mean, on set, it felt very effortless. I mean, Christian was Ken Miles the entire time we were shooting. Right. I mean, I never saw him come out of that character. And him and his son were magical, Like, in a too. sort of a, in a, in a, sort of a method way? Like, like in the, a method way, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you know, I don't know if Christian Bale is known for being a method actor, but in that movie, he in, embodied that character the entire time. And him and his son had a really fun relationship. I mean, when, when Miles pulls up, after that first race, says, hey, jump in, let's go. Mm -hmm. That was an ad-lib moment. Really? It's not scripted. So the kid jumped in, and they start singing that song as they drive away. That's not scripted. That's just something they came up with. That really? It was, you know, it's a, it's a British kids movie, or kids show from, from the, the era, but they both knew it, and they both went for it. And, and the two of them playing off each other was incredible, too. That actor, uh, Noah... No, Jupe. Jupe, yeah. yeah. He's just amazing. He's incredible. Wonderful. We we, yeah. uh, we supported a movie uh, that he did called Honey Boy. Honey Boy, yeah. Where, yeah, he played... Yeah. It was incredible in that movie. Yeah. I mean, it's like, what is that? He's a really What can he not do? And it was really... Yeah. Yeah, and, and it was so much fun watching that dynamic between yeah. the two of them. Yeah. yeah, and him and... Yeah, the two of them just... At, and him and Matt Damon, too. I mean, Christian Bale and Matt Damon mm -hmm. were just going for it. And just... I mean, each one of them brought their A-game every single day. It was yeah. really fun to watch. And Jim would always, you know, throughout the day, would always make little suggestions to, for everybody, every actor, and make the every time, you know, every take would, would tweak something, make it, and it would always be better. Yeah. Which you never really see with every director. Some directors will tweak it, and you go, oh, that wasn't as great. You know, oh, really? But Jim, every suggestion was that much better on the next take. Yeah. Which is amazing. You, you were saying earlier that he, uh, he really thinks fast. Jim process, is fast. Yeah, processes yeah. information really fast, and yeah. it's quick to kind of make changes. I mean, he's like a, he's like an improv comedian, you know, where it's mm -hmm. like they're just how do you how do you think that fast on that on that level of of brain power that often, which you know to me is he's got to just be collapse when he gets home. He's yeah. just exhausted, right? But I mean, he's always very quick at thinking, very fast at you know even if it's a line change or a, or an idea or something different or something comes up on production where yeah you know it's unplanned which yeah. happens all the time. It's very quick to just not let it derail him. It yeah. just keeps moving forward. Cool. It's, it's really fun to watch. I'll bet. Yeah. Well, that's all the questions that I had. Were there any other sort of fun stories from production that you wanted to relate? I mean, it's... <laughs> not really. <laughs> no, I mean, we had a good time on that movie, and that was a fun set. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was tough. It was not an easy movie to make. Why it, was it tough? What was particularly tough about this one? I think it's just a it's a big scope movie. Yeah, uh, it's an epic kind of film, but we didn't have hundreds. Of, you know, we didn't have a ton of time to shoot it. I think it was sixty-seven days. Oh, so it was a pretty fast shoot. It was a fast shoot in L.A. Um, and and I think everybody had their heart in it. Yeah, I think the, the entire crew and and everybody on production. I mean, the production designer built these amazing sets. You know. That you would just think are there, but I mean the 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 pits are three stories high, five hundred feet long, and they're they're gorgeous. They're massive. You yeah. know, and it's massive, <clears throat> and it's like there was nobody just phoning it in on that movie, but it was hard. It right. was a hard movie because it was it was hot every day, it was windy every day, it was dusty every day, but at the end of the day, it all it all paid off because the and movie it's a is a big complicated movie. It's a big complicated movie. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's some days where you'd show up and 
honestly, the GT40 was blue, and historically, it's supposed to be white, you know, and Jim would go, guys, it's supposed to be white, you know, and Transpo would run down there, grab the car, and the, yep, it's going to be white, you know, and then come back five hours later, and there it is, white. Wow. You know, you're like, I don't know how they did it. Yeah. Because, you know, there's not, we didn't have 40 of those cars. We had a couple, and they had to go from white to blue to, you know, to whatever it was, and so it was like, how did they do it? <laughs> like, uh-oh. Wow. Well, Steve, thanks for coming in again, your third nomination, uh, it's, I, and, and hopefully we'll see you again on this show at some point. Yeah, uh, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. All right, thanks for tuning in. This is our conversation on Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, we talked with the uh, post-production sound team earlier, and we just finished up with Steve Morrow, who's the production sound mixer on the film. Congratulations again, and thanks for tuning in.